The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 287 Premium for Thursday, September 23rd, 2010. Welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. I'm Dave Hamilton here from Durham, New Hampshire. On the other end of the Skype line is... John Efron in Fairfield, Connecticut. That's right. And we are here... Well, you know why we're here. You're our premium subscribers. And thank you very much for subscribing. We, uh, we look forward to doing these shows a couple of times a month for you and more when we can. But, uh, but yeah, thank you very much for being our premium subscribers. Should we, should we just dive right in with that, John, and, and go, to, uh, go to Rob? I uh, think so. All Having right. some technical issues. Uh, keep talking. Okay. All right. Well, now, gonna... now you sound. No, you sound good now. Good. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go to Rob, and uh, Rob says, "My Power Mac G4, the old 867 megahertz Quicksilver from January 2002, has some Apple Pro speakers, the spherical Perspex enclosures. They still work just fine, and I'm about to retire the G4 in favor of a new Mac Mini." Now, the speakers plug into the G4 using an Apple-specific speaker jack. The plug on the end of the speaker cable looks a lot like a standard 1-8-inch, 3-millimeter stereo plug, much like the one on stereo earphones and the like. A lot like it, except smaller, more like 2 millimeters in diameter, and a bit shorter. To you, or any of your listeners, know where I might be able to find an adapter plug so that I can plug these speakers into a standard 1-8-inch stereo jack. All right, so we did some searching on this, John, and hey, you, 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 you found a, a little bit. Go ahead. Why don't you tell? Well, yeah, I'm going to start off by saying this was in the bad old days. I'll say of Apple, and that Dave, the the problem here is all, although it does appear, and Apple still, you know, does shenanigans like this. Although it does appear to be a standard connector, as we found out, it's not. Well, it, it is a standard, but it's called an Apple speaker sound output port. A S S S O. The bottom line okay. is if your computer does not have an Apple speaker sound output port, you're going to be in trouble and, and found some documents at Apple. And there were only a very limited number of machines that did have this pretty much the power Mac G4 and some of the early iMacs, I guess. Okay. So, um, now there were a couple of devices, but I think these, I mean, this is going back quite a ways, Dave. You know, I mean, you know, seven years or so. So uh, there, yeah. there were there yeah. were some devices here. I found one and you found one. Uh, one that I found uh, is called a Power Wave. And it's a little box made by Griffin. And it, okay. it says, hey, if you got Apple Pro speakers, I can I can connect to them. And then it has a USB port. So I assume they have some sort of drive. And it'll uh, you know drive those speakers just fine. Uh, I mean, they're, they're kind of nice looking speakers. Yeah, yeah. And then I think you found something as well, Dave. I did, which was another Griffin device. So the Power Wave connects to these speakers, and I believe it gets its power from USB. Uh, there were two types of Apple speakers. Uh, these Apple Pro speakers, one that were powered by the computer entirely over the audio port, meaning the computer had an amplifier, and then there was the USB version of these speakers. Uh, what what he's talking about is the the former kind there where it's it's just getting power from the computer. And so the computer needs an amplifier powerful enough to drive these speakers. Uh, that computer has one. Most don't. 
So uh, Griffin made two devices, the power wave that, that you found and then the iFire that both essentially did the same thing that created this audio device, but also provided the power to drive these speakers, uh, much like the amplifier that you might have if you've got uh, a separate amplifier and speakers with your uh, with your stereo at home or something like that. Uh, so the, the power wave is USB powered uh, and USB connected uh, to the computer, whereas the uh, iFire is uh, or was Firewire powered uh, and connects to the computer with Firewire. So that's the uh, that's the magic answer, although it doesn't it's not really magic because uh, the, the reality is there is no uh, it, it's tough to find these things. You know, they're they're out there. You can see them on Amazon. You can see them on Griffin's site. But eBay is going to be the only place that you're going to potentially even find one, I think. I mean, the other thing, you know, if you got us, if you're handy with a soldering iron yeah. is to just get in there, you know, wire in your own uh, analog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wire up your own amp, you mean? Uh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. No, uh, hey, if you got a, fr- a friend that's handy with electronics, maybe, maybe they can figure out yeah. how to put, uh, yeah, how, how to uh, handle, no, no, that's not <laughs> a good idea. Just get, get some, uh, you should be able to get some fine yeah, you know Mac speakers. It's unfortunate because you know we had a case with someone else where this happened. Uh, I remember David, someone yeah. had upgraded someone, and all of a sudden, I think it was a similar thing, but it was proprietary type of speakers. I think they only went over USB. Yeah, and he upgraded other, a customer. Other ones, right? That's right. And he upgraded a customer's computer, and all of a sudden stopped working. And it was like, well, you know, the, you got to let go. The reality is, yes, you can find. A solution here, and if you dig and hunt, you know you'll you'll probably find an iFire or a Power Wave that's going to work. But you're going to spend a lot of time, and unfortunately, probably a lot of money, getting this thing uh, because they're not all that common anymore. So it, it's going to be cheaper just to buy some new speakers. That's that's where it comes. That's it. You know. So. Moving on, or stick with the <laughs> the G4. Oh, yeah, or stick with the G4. That's right. I have I have one of those G4s. That's what we uh, still run our FileMaker server on. And I was going to say, hey, you could send those speakers to me. But the reality is I'm not going to use them either because I don't use sound on that machine. There's no reason for them. So. Well, you know, they're not very clear, but the only other class of machine that they mentioned that supports this is iMac. Now, it doesn't say which iMac specifically. Uh, I think it's one of the very first ones. I mean, it says flat panel, 17-inch flat panel, okay, so 1 that's, gigahertz. That's the PowerPC iMac. Yeah. yeah. Yep, the yeah, lampshade, the the lamp, the, the not the lampshade, but the lamp, you know, the the, the desk lamp like one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, that's I guess also a G four class. So uh, correct. Yeah, that that'd be taking a step backwards. So <laughs> yeah, that's we'll, right. we'll we'll link to the articles and and the products. You may be able to find it if, if you can get it for cheap on eBay. Then there you go. More power to you. Peer writes. Uh, I would like to give you a heads up on an observation that I made. I had two Macs that I use daily: one iMac and one MacBook Pro. Both machines were using Time Machine, saving to my XServe. I am the same user on both machines, but the Time Machine backups were, of course, different, albeit accessible from either Mac as open to me due to the same username on my XServe. When I sold my iMac, I cloned the hard drive to an external drive so that I could boot my MacBook Pro with that image. But once booted my MacBook Pro with the iMac image, the Time Machine started to back this up to the MacBook Pro backup that I have, not the old iMac backup. I noticed this as there were changes in the 100 gigabyte range and the backups would have taken forever. 
I again booted back to the internal MacBook Pro hard drive, and once again, Time Machine had to do a full backup of the internal drive as everything had changed since the last time it did a backup. So now I have a safe iMac Time Machine backup stuck in time and a huge MacBook Pro backup with alternating images as its source. Completely useless, if you ask me. So lesson learned, turn off Time Machine on all images and hard drives before you swap anything out. And yeah, this is interesting. The the important thing to remember here uh, and the, the lesson to take away is that Time Machine is keyed uh, backups from Time Machine, whether they're stored on a, a Firewire drive or off on a network drive, be it a time capsule or, or anything else. They are keyed first to the machine and then to the drive by name. So, uh, and, and I think there's, there's a, the, the machine with the machine, it's keyed to the machine name and the Mac address of the machine, uh, the Mac address of the, e, the main internet, uh, or the main network port on that machine. So yeah, if, if you connect it, a drive to your old, to a different machine, it, even though it's backed up somewhere else on your, on your time machine backup, it's going to, it's time machines, not going to know that because it's looking at it only under the umbrella of the machine that you are on. So it's, it's not linked to the drive first. It's linked to the machine first. I suppose, you know, you could try to um, trick the system. So, so they're, they're, so as you pointed out, Dave, the hierarchy is machine name and then drive name. Right. Now, if you maintain those, you may be able to, to trick the system into, you know, thinking that, that something has not changed. Um, also, what I notice is that, you know, if you're doing a wireless one, then, of course, you know, you get this sparse image file that contains the MAC address of the Ethernet interface buried within it. If you ever take a look and you wonder what the heck that is, that's what that is. But I noticed another thing, Dave, is that there are some invisible files on a time machine volume, or at least the ones that I have right now. Really? One is .com.apple.timemachine.supported, which I found kind okay, of now, interesting. Okay, uh, now, before we dig into these, these images are uh, sorry, these invisible files are on the drive, the destination of the backup, not the drive that's being backed up. Correct? The time machine volume. Yes. Correct. Okay. All right. Just want to make sure. Okay. So you've got one that says time machine supported. Is there, are there contents to this file or is it just oh, live there? I don't think so. It just looked like an invisible file. Huh. You know, I'll poke into that. And then I saw another, you know, I'll look at these okay. while we're uh, in a spare moment here. And then I noticed another was a dot and a Mac address of machine or machines that had access to the time machine volume as well. Yeah, let me poke around and see if those are directories. That would be interesting. Okay. Yeah, that because that's that's uh, that's interesting. I'm I'm seeing I'm seeing the same thing on on my time machine volumes, but uh, it looks like they are empty files. It's at the the dot com dot apple dot time machine dot supported file is. And a zero byte document. So that, okay. that's, so I think there are just markers just to help time machines say, have I ever seen this drive before? And yep. it may save, save some time. Yep. And the ones with Mac addresses are interesting uh, because those do have contents. Uh, the contents appear to be binary, which makes it difficult to say exactly what they are. Yeah. Not sure. Well, actually, the contents are exactly the same on all of these. I have five, five machines backed up here. Uh, I've got five different files with MAC addresses. No, they're not all the same. They are different. 
Um, and I'm looking to see. Oh, yeah. I see. That. I wonder if it's like a hash or something. It sure looks like it. Or a signature. Yeah, I see that, too. Is that there's something in there? I actually had to add my G5 to a pseudo to have it spit out what was in there. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So, yeah. So just, yeah. Pure makes a good point. And, you know, it's th- this is yet another good reason to name all of your hard drives individually. Um if you have two drives named the same and you move one from one Mac to another, uh, you, you know, you may wind up having some data overwritten or at the very least some confusion over which backup is which. And it sounded like Pierre was going through that. Uh, I've always named every hard drive I've had differently. Now, I mean, I, I, I chose the catalog of Miles Davis songs as as the things that I would pull from to name drives. You don't have to do that. You can name them whatever you want. But uh, but, you know, pick pick something so that you can always have unique names for every hard drive. And that way you're not uh, you're not ever running into it. Leaving it named Macintosh hard drive. I, I that that scares me because too many things could 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 go wrong. Having many drives in the house under the same name. I don't know. What, huh. do, do you change your drive names, John? Kind of. Well, I'm, I'm looking right now. But OK, let me see. My desktop, it is called, I'm sorry, my laptop. Yep. It is called Macintosh HD. Oh, I believe is the default, right? Is. Yep, that's the default. But then on my G5, I have two drives. One is called 300 gigabyte Whopper. Okay. And another is called one terabyte Monster. Okay. Since a Monster is relatively larger than a Whopper, I think. But I would always give them kind of, yeah, yeah. strange names like that, just to make them different. Yeah. Yeah, it makes it fun on top of the fact that it allows you to differentiate. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I guess the reason I started doing it was because as soon as you do any file sharing, if you connect one Mac to another, well, suddenly you see you've got, you know, four Macintosh hard drives connected and you have no idea which one is which. Uh, you know, by the icon, you can tell which one is the network drives versus the non-network drives. But otherwise, you're kind of lost. Yeah. Yeah, one time I think I did Zoot and Dingo. I remember you had that actually. On your, you had it on your two CI, I think it was, right? I think I named the hard drive Zoot and the printer Dingo. I think the printer still That's called right. Dingo. Okay, I still have that GCC twelve hundred DPI laser printer because it still works, dude. Whenever I think about that printer, I think about your parents' like old old house uh, and and the old room that you had there before you moved to the different room. I, I, yeah, that you, that printer's been with you for a long time. I, I got to tell you, this is the best printing investment i've ever made i, I, mean, it, I, I can't argue i don't i think that. i think they're still in business actually gcc yeah I think they're I still think in they business are. yeah it's a networkable postscript printer right it, it ethernet i mean yeah. it's probably 10 base t but you know it has postscript uh i think it's excuse me may also be pcl or i think it, no i think it's postscript but yeah yeah i know i remember when you got that printer right and i've said it on the show before i lusted after it at first I'm like man that's a really nice printer that you just got there and uh, and I knew I was like, man, that, that, you know, that's all you need. And uh, as it turns out, it's all you needed. For 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 document printing yes. for pictures, of course, I've, I've gotten many inkjets. <laughs> yeah, well, you never actually buy an inkjet, right? You, you make a down payment on it and then right. uh, and then you know, the, the, the long term is you just buy an ink. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Alrighty. All right. Moving on to Ray. Ray says, on your recommendation, I bought a family pack of BusyCal and I'm really happy with it. One question, though, is there a way to get tasks from BusyCal onto my iPhone? 
Okay, so this is sort of a loaded question given the timing that we have here. And the reason is everything to do with calendar syncing on the Mac is changing. Mobile Me is going through a transition from uh, whatever their proprietary sync engine type for calendars was to the open standard CalDAV. And I think everyone can make this switch now, but you may not want to. So proceed with caution Uh, with that. All the syncing and all that kind of changes. And of course, you say, well, we're not talking about mobile me. We're talking about busy Cal. What does that have to do with mobile me? Well, what it has to do is busy Cal has its own database, but it also connects with sync services on the Mac. And that is what syncs to mobile me. So it's all sort of intertwined. That's, this is, of course, assuming you have mobile me. If you don't have mobile me, then it doesn't really matter. Sync services just talks to itself. Uh, that said, as things stand right now and and BusyCal now, as of just days ago, has a public beta of a new version of BusyCal that does support all of this new CalDAV stuff. So if you want to experiment with that, they've got some details on their website where you can do that. However, uh so that that's step one. You just need to know as far as syncing with the iPhone, there is no built in functionality on the iPhone or iPod touch uh, for to do's. I'm not sure why it's stupid to me that there's no built in functionality for this. Uh, it, it's the perfect device to manage a to do list on. I can't imagine why Apple wouldn't do this, but uh, but I'll set my soapbox aside now that I've said that little piece. I found three apps. Uh, The way these apps work is you run something on your Mac that syncs with something on your iPhone. And the the apps are Todo from Appigo. uh, That's T-O-D-O. And then there's the number two do, which is at the number two do app dot com. And then totally do T-O-O-D-L-E-D-O. Again, they all work. they, they, They all have different features. I found that I like the Apigo app the best because I really just want a simple to-do management app on my iPhone. I want to be able to put to-dos in and tick off to-dos when they're done. And I don't care about the whole GTD thing of managing and all that. I just, you know, per day, totally fine for me. That's how my life works. I like it. So, uh, so yes, it is possible. But what you need to know, BusyCal supports some constructs that, iCal does not specifically recurring to do. So if you have a take out the trash every Wednesday to do that will not sync out to any of these apps because they're syncing from what sync services has. And that's everything that BusyCal can push to it. Uh, it will sync back, you know, so if you, if you have a, a to do out there and you check it off on your iPhone and you sync that back with your Mac, it will, it'll sync right up with BusyCal. Uh, it's, it's relatively seamless and it works just fine. So that's the uh, that's it in a nutshell. John, I know you don't do a whole lot of this stuff, but but any questions that, that I should clarify based on my description here? No, I really went through this all. I mean, I, I noticed when I moved over to Mail App that there is a to do of sorts in there, but I never really bothered dealing with it. Yep. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that that the to do's listed in Mail App or reminders, I guess, is what they call them there are the same to-dos that you will see in BusyCal or iCal. It's all talking to that same sync services database. So you can manage them in mail, but it starts getting funky. I don't know. 
Apple's Apple just doesn't. I don't know. They don't grok to do's. It, it's a simple, simple concept. I don't. I don't know. It doesn't. I don't get it. I, I don't get why screw that up. This is something, in my opinion, that Palm handled wonderfully. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. Yep. yep. I mean, they had different categories. They had, you know, reminders. It could, you know, keep track of them even after you checked them off. They just had a perfect implementation, and uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was difficult for me to to get rid of my palm and move over to an iDevice because that there were some really nice, uh, you know, I think they're pretty much dead though. Well, aren't they? I oh, they're, they're dead. Just pretty much totally. make phones. I mean, they just make phones now, you know, yeah. the, the, well, I wanted to, I wanted to replace my old, uh, old one that had malfunctioned. Yeah. And I went to palm and I'm like, you don't make any of these anymore. Uh, oh, well. Oh, well. All right. Uh, moving on to Marion. Marion says, I might have a geek challenge for you here this time. Uh, and I'll go through Marion's email and then, uh, I, then we'll kind of pass this back and forth here, John. She says, I was asked to service and I, I actually, Marion may be, uh, maybe a he. a he, that's correct. Yeah. Uh, whichever you are, thanks for sending your comment in. I, I was asked to service a 2000 Mac mini core duo running snow leopard 10.6.0. The problem was that the client could not install iWork on that machine. When he hit the install button, nothing would happen. When I took a closer look at the machine, I found out it was not just iWork that could not be installed. There was a list of things that could not be done on the machine. Besides these, of course, the machine worked just fine. And the list includes installing anything. Apps, updates, Mac OS 10 from the DVD, nothing. Creating a new user account, no go. Couldn't do an SMC reset, couldn't do a PRAM reset, could not boot from the installation disk, could not boot into single user mode, could not get the target disk mode via the T key. As you can see, a pretty hopeless scenario. I could, however, make a full-time machine backup, thank goodness. Finally, I found out that I could get into the target disk mode by going into system preferences, startup disk, target disk mode. I connected the machine to another Mac, wiped the drive, did a fresh installation of Snow Leopard, and restored the user account from the time machine backup. Fortunately, it solved the issue. My question is, what in the world could have caused this level of corruption? My guess is it had something to do with authentication, as, for instance, when I tried to create a new user account, I would click the lock to allow for changes to be made, and the dialog for admin login did not come up. The lock would open for a second and then lock itself again. Not sure if it helps, but the Mac had been used for simple office tests, such as Email Web and FileMaker 10. Any advice would be appreciated. All right, John, so I've read this twice in the pre-show, you told me it's obvious what the problem was. And part part of the problem okay, to me enough. is very obvious. All right. So I, I I have some guesses here and I'm sure I could I could expound because I, you know, I'd like to talk. But I'm gonna let you talk because it sounds like you've got something to say. I I like to talk too. I know. We both do. As long as we take turns, we're we're cool. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that this is a feature that I've dabbled with in the past, and it's usually off, Dave, but it is referenced in, and we will, of course, link to it. Uh, the name of the article is Setting Up Firmware Password Protection in Mac OS X. Oh. This machine had firmware password protection enabled. How do I know this, you may ask, Dave? How do you know this, John? Because I'm looking at the list of features <laughs> that are enabled... Huh. When you enable this protection, and let's see, blocks the ability to use the C key to start up from an optical disk. Yeah, check. Blocks the ability to use the T key to start up in target disk mode. Check. Blocks the ability to start up a system in single user mode. Check. 
uh, blocks the reset of parameter RAM. Check. Okay, so okay. Th- those are four. There's a few more, of course. but there was enough of an overlap here. So whoever used that machine now, the, now, and what is this? And I'm going to tell you what this is. It's it's basically a feature. It, it makes your machine less prone to. And seeing as how this was in an office environment, I think I could understand why this was done. Sure. It, it makes the by disabling all of those things, it makes the machine much harder to compromise if, if someone manages to run off with the system or or be able to get into it. Because a lot of the things, for example, you know, target disk mode and but but you, you can see by the list of features that it lists here that it it really is um a security measure. Okay. To disable access to a whole bunch of features that a you know a hacker or not even a call him a hacker. That's somebody who would like to compromise the machine would find very useful. Right. Right. Okay. Now the, the way you enable it though I, is kind of roundabout. I, I want to ask you, yeah, two questions. One, because it's important to be thorough and one, because I, I'm going somewhere with this. So can you tell us how you would enable and disable this particular feature? Okay, now it depends on the model of the machine. Okay. Now, I believe with the latest machines, yeah, what you do, I'm just looking at the list here because it depends also if you got EFI or you got something earlier. Let's uh, let's assume that we've got, well, it's a 2007. Let's well, see, so that's, the that's latest EFI. machine here. Yeah. All right, so here we go. So for, for 10.5 and on, as far as I can tell, what you do is... You start from the install DVD, and then there's going to be a menu choice called firmware password utility. Okay. Uh, earlier machines, you would have to download this this utility separately. Right. Right. But you run it, you set a password, because what happens is, is a lot of times what will happen is a lot of these operations will be blocked, or some operations may ask for this password before it will let you do them. Okay. So, it does, so enabling this feature does a couple of things. One, it's just going to shut out certain things, and, and for, for some other things, it may ask for a password beforehand. Got it. All right. So now we've talked about all this, and, and, uh, and I don't want to burst your bubble here, John. And, and I'm not sure that I am going to burst your bubble, but I might. Oh, no, because I, I, I don't think this was the only problem. I think that this was certainly the cause of some of the symptoms that were observed, but I agree with no. you, not, not all of them. Well I'm, not, well, I'm not convinced of that, only because Marion solved the problem without uh, saying anything about disabling a firmware password. True. So how did how was he able to solve all these without I mean, the firmware password should, but maybe not, uh, should persist past a an operating system reboot or is a reinstallation. Um, I mean, it's a firmware password, right? I, I don't know. I th- That's that's kind of what I'm asking here is and I, and I realize neither one of us may know this answer is because we're we're not prepped on this one. Uh and that was sort of the point. It's nice to have something where we're just you, you get to hear this in the raw. You know, this is this is this is as it goes in pre-show, folks. So I, I, I don't know the answer here, but it, it if it, he said he wiped the drive. So if wiping the drive wipes out the firmware password, then, yes, that would then then this whole theory holds water and everything's good to go. But if it doesn't. And and I don't know how to test that at the moment because the Mac I'm using I'm, I'm, is kind of busy. I can't wipe the drive and, and keep you guys apprised of what's going on because it would lose all our show data. 
So if you're hearing this, it means I did not make the stupid decision to format the drive on this just to test this while we're doing it. Isn't that right, John? Yeah, I'm looking over the article because I want to. No, I'm, I'm with you now. I'm. Uh... It's possible that that a, a wipe of the drive gets rid of the firmware password. I mean, if he repartitioned that drive, which is frankly what I would do if I was having some mystery problem with a computer where there was all these things wrong, I would totally blow away as much as I could and start from scratch. So if repartitioning fixes or undoes this, then that's fine. But I, for some reason, I thought firmware passwords were deeper than that. They, they're actually in the firmware and not on the drive. Uh, the the name of it would certainly lead me to believe that. So Yeah, yeah that's right. I mean, it says it can be reset and changed by an admin... By physical access or when computers started up in OS 9, which uh, maybe that was done at some point. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know. But but it certainly sounds like a candidate for, for a lot of this uh, wackiness. Oh, well, that's the that's just the thing is is there, there's. Yeah, we'll have to wait to hear from back from Marion. Uh, so please let it, let us know if you have any insight into this. But uh, and, and we'll research this as well. But yeah, curious one. Very, very curious. I, I thought it was something I thought it was a, a major permissions issue. But but again, that didn't explain why the T key wouldn't work. That didn't explain. I mean, it, there's very few things that are going to do all of those symptoms. And the firmware password, uh, you know, clearly is one of them, John. Uh, so and maybe the only one. So it, it, it almost has to be that. And yet there's a little bit of a mystery left. Time to move on, Charles. Charles? Yeah. Yeah, yeah we can do Charles. Yes, yeah, this is good. Oh, this, oh, this is good. Oh, yeah. This, this, uh, this is like an onion, this one here. <laughs> Charles and the giant onion. I searched your website for advice on the best webcam for the Mac, but I didn't find anything current. I have a 2009 MacBook Pro. The built-in eyesight is okay, but I've seen demonstrations of Logitech's QuickCam Vision 2 Pro for Mac, and it does give better clarity and lighting control. A friend of mine owns a Windows PC and recently installed the Logitech HD Pro Webcam C910, and it seems to have even better clarity and certainly more features. After reading the specs for both webcams just mentioned, it appears that the C910 is the better unit, but not for Mac. The Vision Pro for Mac has been around for several years and appears to be showing its age with only 2 megapixel resolution and only 720p video quality. Looking at the Logitech line in general, it's obvious it favors the Windows platform. I'm of a mind to wait and see what Logitech does to upgrade its Mac webcam. Do you have any thoughts on a top-notch webcam for the Mac, meaning autofocus, greater clarity, and sound? So this is an interesting thing. Uh, and John, I'm going to throw this to you in a minute here after I set sure. the stage. Uh, first of all, most every Mac, uh, sans the Mac Pro, of course, and the Mac Mini, come with built-in cameras. And now, of course, we've got you know a display from Apple that's got a built-in camera. So there's not a market for low-end webcams for the Mac simply because Apple provides you with a better-than-low-end webcam. You know, you get a 640 by 480, 30-frame-per-second webcam. Now, it's not a huge lens. Uh, you can't do a whole lot of zooming or anything, and it's not technically HD, though sometimes Apple calls it HD and some weird things, but it's not. Uh, you're right. This Logitech QuickCam Vision Pro for Mac is better. It'll, it will do full HD. It does have some better uh, lighting control. And when I say full HD, I mean 720p. So we're using the, you know, the Fox version of, of full HD. But, uh, but, you know, there you go. 
and it and it and it'll do it and it's better and it sits on top of your monitor all that good stuff there were a lot of webcams that you could get you had to get one that had special drivers for the mac but then snow leopard came out and broke all of those uh there was something that changed in snow leopard and i think john you're going to talk about exactly what that was that rendered all these other webcams essentially useless and made it so that either you had to replace the entire camera or at the very least get new drivers, something a lot of manufacturers opted not to do. And it seems sort of strange why they wouldn't have done this until you explain this to me in the pre-show, John. So take it away. So in the beginning, the webcam world was a mess. Yes. (laughs) As you pointed out, you know, you had to have a, a, specific driver for your operating system and it was just chaos and then finally somebody i'm not quite sure who drove this said you know what let's cut this out yep and let's come up with a standard for usb video devices and what that is called is uvc or usb video device class i guess they okay didn't want to call it uvdc all right so that's a good thing in general because then it provides a level playing field so as long as your camera is uvc compatible and, of course, your operating system of choice has a UVC driver, then you're cool and you can get at least basic functionality. And the good news is that, as far as I can tell, Dave Snow Leopard introduced a US or UVC driver for USB webcams. It sure seems that way, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, it, it certainly has. And, and that's, I think, part of what broke all these other webcams is that the whole infrastructure changed when we moved from 10.5, which was Leopard, to Snow Leopard 10.6. So, uh, and, and, and now this adds some clarity to the situation. I never really understood what went on until you did this research here, John. So this is, this is good stuff. So the question uh, is, or the first question is, will a UVC webcam work with the Mac? And, and the answer is yes, it will. Uh, so then the question is, back to Charles, what webcams are, should I consider here? And and I think we found some of them. The one that really does come up a lot is the one he mentioned, the Logitech, uh, the Logitech Pro. You know, and I don't have it up anymore, and now I'm stumbling. But it's Logitech, Logitech Quick Cam Vision Pro. Thank you, John. So that's definitely step. Uh, you know, you know, one option. What else do we have, John? Uh, there's a few others here. You know, Ecamm, I remember we, we uh, looked at one from Ecamm a while ago. I don't think it's HD, but I think it's a good basic webcam, Dave. Okay. Maybe you could find that one. I, I forget the name of it off the top of my head, but hey, let's look at it. I think it, it's a 640 by 480, and I think it's a, a UVC one, so I don't think you need any extra goodies. Yep. Uh, yeah, Creative, Lo- Creative Labs makes the Creative Live webcam. Uh, but, the, you know, the, the, this Logitech one still comes in as the as the top one. Logitech. Oh, and isn't this clever? What's that? <laughs> Blue makes something called the eyeball. Oh, I like it. Oh, yeah. Because um, it, it sits next to the eye, uh, to the, 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 uh, the, the, the microphone that they have that I can't think of the name of. Blue microphone. Yeah. It's the thing that sits on top of the Mac, the little guy. Oh. Snowflake? Was it a the, snowflake? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The snowflake. That's it. Yep. All right. Yeah, nice theme. But um, yeah, I don't know. I'm looking at that and it, it looks, you know, kind of tiny, kind of like you said. I mean, with, with the webcam in, in most of the Macs, I mean, you're talking something with a teeny lens 
I mean, a really tall, Im- a really tiny imaging element. I mean, you're, you, I'm surprised to get as good quality as you do here. Where, you know, if you look at like this Logitech, I mean, I think it has a, is it a Zeiss? Uh, yeah, Carl Zeiss glass lens. I mean, yeah. you know, so so you're talking some fairly decent quality. I mean, you're going to pay for it, but um, yeah, that, this eyeball one actually. So the the uh, the Logitech one we that I can never remember the name of uh, is 720p. The blue eyeball is actually. Well, it's sixteen hundred by twelve hundred uh, resolution, up to thirty frames a second. So Ooh. that you know that that's they claim pretty, HD. That's 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 yeah, that's killer HD. Yeah. So up in here, plug and play, no drivers required. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, this is interesting. We got to check some of these out because this is this is definitely interesting. Uh, and more and more, I I'm finding sometimes. For example, I'm speaking at Blog World Expo next month. They asked me to do just a little, you know, 15 second. Hey, I'm Dave Hamilton from the Mac Geek Cab and I'm speaking at Blog World Expo next month. I think that's exactly what I did. But they wanted this on video. So I, you know, turned on the eyesight and opened up QuickTime and recorded it and then shipped the file off to them. And and they were they were fine with it. But they're like, oh, it's too bad. It's not an HD. I'm thinking, well, you know, I could get the flip camera out and do this. And I asked them, I said, do you want that? They're like, no, 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 it'll be fine. A lot of people sent in non HD ones. And uh, so, you know, having an HD capable webcam is becoming more and more important. And I think, you know, as more and more people get them, then Skype and iChat and all this other stuff will soon support that. And then, of course, eventually we'll have them in our Macs and then it won't matter anymore. But uh, but yeah, very interesting, interesting little discussion. And and I always like to learn things. I'm I'm glad. Well, I think another path, Dave, I haven't done this in a while, Um, Uh but I believe a firewire camcorder can also act as a uh, absolutely image capture device. Now it's you know probably going to be kind of expensive compared to some of these other things. Yeah, that's. But from what I recall, if if a camcorder has firewire, then there's a whole protocol where you can either control it, or um, in most cases, I think it use it and capture whatever it sees. And I would think a lot of those are probably pretty decent quality. I think the challenge there is you have to get a nice mount or something like that. Um. To handle that. Do, do you have in the in the family a you know a camcorder or? Well, we have the we have the flip cam, uh, and then we have an old standard definition DV camcorder that recorded to you know DV tapes. Mm-hmm. We we haven't used that in a regular sense in a long time because it's just a pain to get stuff off of it. The flip is awesome, uh, but of course the flip is uh, less be, even being used even less now. Because I have the iPhone four, which has HD video capture, you know, so it there's, you know, the flip does have slightly better quality, uh, slightly. I mean, it's all HD on both, but the flip, I, I like the way the images looked on the flip a little bit better, but the reality is the flip's not always in my pocket. The iPhone is. So the iPhone is the one that I take most of the HD videos with. And I, I purposefully leave some space available on my iPhone so that if I want to take an extended video, if you know, happen to be at a kid's event or something and I want a video for, you know, 10 minutes or something, I'm not worried about, Oh, am I going to run out of room on my iPhone? So, so there you have it. Uh, you know, John, we, uh, I think we're, I think we're almost ready to wrap up here, but I wanted to mention something as I was prepping the show today, uh, I was putting links in. In fact, it was as I was prepping that last question, I realized something that I have that's very, very valuable that I wanted to share with all of you, just this concept. And that is 
having multiple clipboards or multiple layers of a clipboard. I use Keyboard Maestro to do this. There are other apps that will do it. But clipboard, what, what do you mean by a clipboard? Okay, so let's say I go and I copy a link, right? And, uh, you know, a URL. And then I copy the title of the web page. And then uh, I copy some text. Well, if I go to paste, I'm going to paste the text and the title and then the link are 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 dead to me right i've got to okay. go back and and copy these all right you're talking the place that the computer puts data that you use the copy command to collect yes thank you very much right, so you highlight you hit copy and there's a place in memory somewhere where this gets placed yep. and yeah i think the clipboard is the is the proper term for that that's right so uh but what i use is again i use keyboard maestro for this and and it will do far more with clipboards than i use it for but uh, but really, I just use it to have a clipboard to add some depth to my clipboard. So instead of just being able to paste the last thing I copied, I have the ability with Keyboard Maestro to paste any of the last 10 things that I copied. And I set this. I could set it to 20. I could set it to 30. 10 is enough for me. I don't need to usually go back any further than that. And the interface is great. I've got it set to Command Shift V. So uh, if I hit Command Shift V, I get a little dialogue up and I can navigate with my arrow keys or the number keys and pick which one I want. And then that one's brought to the front. So if I, it, let's say the link in this, in my previous example would be three levels deep, right? It's not at the top. It's not the second one. It's the third one. So if I pick the third one, now it moves that to the top and then pastes it. So it re really, really handy. Think about it. The next time you're copying and pasting, if you wind up bouncing back and forth between two apps to copy and paste different bits of data, doing it with a multiple clipboard or a, you know, a, a clipboard with some depth to it, I like to say, makes a huge difference because I just copy, 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 and then I go back in, paste, move, paste, move, paste, move, and I'm good to go. So, uh, John, you, you found something else. You, you use something else, uh, instead of, uh, instead of keyboard maestro. I know there's something for free keyboard maestro is not, and I can't remember what this free thing is, but, uh, but maybe one of you listeners can. Well, another one that I found, it actually was an article, um, Nancy had written a number okay. of years ago. So apparently this product has been out for, for a while. I mean, it was, um, yeah, but it was a review that she had done quite a while ago. Copy paste pro. Okay. This looks like the the utility. I mean, it has a whole boatload of features here. Uh, you can do multiple clips, as you point out. Yep. You can edit them. Uh, it'll archive them for you. You can look at a history. Uh, you know, I think it has ways where you can you know, insert dates and times and, and, and stuff like that. Uh, that's from Plum Amazing. Cool. Cool. <laughs> Uh, so we'll link to that, but well, that's, yeah. uh, but that sounds handy. I mean, if you can, um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've just kind of gotten used to the limitations of what's built in. I, I now, now that I've been doing the multiple clipboard thing and it's, it, I did it a number of years ago and for whatever reason got out of the habit. And I think I was using keyboard maestro before the current owner bought it, uh, to do this. And then I got out of the habit of it. And then recently in the last year, I, I got back into it with, with the same thing. And now I can't live without it. If I have, if I'm using a Mac and with any regularity, I have to go and, uh, and put a license, a keyboard maestro on it. There's, I just can't live without it. It's, it's, it's a mandatory thing for me. So I just wanted to, uh, to mention that because it really, it really has made a difference for me. And I realized it today, how much I took it for granted and how much longer show prep would have taken me if I didn't have it. 
Yeah, I think I use stickies. Yeah, there's a right. You can always use a stack or whatever <laughs> and, and do it that way. But uh, All right. You folks know how to contact us, but we're going to tell you anyway. You email us at premium at macgeekgab.com. I'm almost positive you said premium at macgeekgab.com, Dave. You know what I said. It was premium at macgeekgab.com. That's right. Uh, you can also call us at 206-666-GEEK, which, John, is... 4335. That's right. Uh, we'd like to... Uh, you can you can Skype us to macgeekgab. Uh you can go to iTunes. Can go Leave to iTunes. some comments. That's right. I've seen some pop up there. Yeah. We really appreciate them. Absolutely. Absolutely. The We Have Communicators podcast is the home of Michael Johnston. He's the one that converts this to AAC for you. Thank you very much, Michael. Uh, Cashfly, of course, provides all the bandwidth. Cashfly.com. Thank you, Cashfly. And thank you uh, to all of you, all of our subscribers, all of our premium subscribers. We really appreciate it. We enjoy doing these shows. Uh, and we appreciate that you support us. So that's, uh, that's, I think that's, and that's, and you know, we sometimes learn something, Dave. I love it. I, I love sometimes it. do. Yeah, it's great. All right. We will, uh, we will be back on Monday with even more fun for you. I think it might be a cool stuff found show on Monday, John. We've got a pile of stuff. We won't get through it all. So I think it's time. Cool. Yeah. Have fun over the weekend. Don't get caught. And uh, happy birthday to me. Made up.